this evening, we also once again turn back to Genesis chapter 1. The text for the sermon is found in verses 20 through 23. At this time, we will read verses 1 through 23. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. That is, the word of the Lord. For the first time in human history, the moon set in the east. And for the first time ever on planet earth, the sun rose. sun rose in the east. Moon set in the west, didn't it? Gotta get my direction straight. 
on this first day, the sun rises, the first day of a sunrise, and on that day, God looks down at a world, and what a gorgeous world, a green world. On the third day, God had made the dry land, and he had made all the plants and trees and flowers. I've seen some pictures of Ireland. It's like an emerald island sometimes, just astonishing green. So God and the holy angels look down at this planet, and they see this marvelous world filled with green plants and trees and also flowers splashing with every color of the rainbow, although the rainbow doesn't exist yet. What a gorgeous planet. It must have been breathtaking in its beauty. But there wasn't a single living creature that had nephesh, breath, in this virgin world. It was on the fifth day of the creation week that God begins to create animals to fill this new world. On the fifth day of creation, he makes all of the birds and the fish. And suddenly, that day the angels saw the oceans of the world already then teeming and swarming with marine animals. What an astonishing thing to see. Great, great wells. The blue whale was already there that day, and great marine reptiles like the Mosasaurus. And suddenly on this day, the skies too are teeming and flocking with birds. Just recently, my wife and kids called for me to go outside because there are all these flocks of birds, I think blackbirds in the trees around our house. On this day, suddenly, the skies are filled with flying animals, birds and bats and pterodactyls. God is making all these flying and swimming animals by the word of his power on the fifth day. We celebrate that this evening. The title of my sermon is Fish and Birds, Great and Small, the Lord God Made Them All. First, we'll ask the question, what? What did God do here? And then secondly, when did he do this? And then finally, why did he make these fish and birds great and small? On the fifth day of creation, God created the swimming animals. You might notice I'm using the word animal in a very wide sense. Did you know that fish are animals? Birds are animals. I was naive enough at one point to think that just mammals were animals. But my son set me straight. No, birds and fish are animals as well as are lizards and dinosaurs as well. On the fifth day, God created all the swimming animals and all the flying animals. Moses records, And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Now our attention goes to that phrase, living creatures. For the first time in the history of the world, God makes living, breathing creatures. Up until this point, yes, it's true that on the third day, there has been organic life created. Plants have been created. But now God makes living creatures. The Hebrew here is literally nefesh haya. The word nefesh is famous because it's the word for breathing. The other word is the word for life. 
The word for breathing, those are very important words. It's very interesting in ancient languages, for example, this word nephesh can mean breathing. It can mean inhalation. Sometimes it refers to a person's throat in like Akkadian languages. It all points to the fact that God makes creatures that are breathing in air and out air, that are living, they're moving around. They have the breath of life. And then, of course, there's the fish. Now they breathe in water instead, don't they? And that's how they get their oxygen. But God creates these living creatures. They're animate. And so now God creates something that is new and marvelous compared to all of the plant life on the third day of creation. He makes creatures that are animate. They move around. They're alive. They're breathing. They have a level of consciousness to them as well. And they are alive. God said, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. The word living here is a word that points to the fact they simply aren't dead. They are alive in contrast. And Adam and Eve will not be allowed to eat these living creatures. In fact, they are only allowed to eat plant life originally. Now, this word nephesh is never used to refer to plants. From a biblical perspective, the plants are not alive in the same way that fish and birds are. And so, on this day, the fifth day of creation, the ongoing drama of creation reaches new heights as God, for the first time, creates living creatures with breath that have a level of consciousness. And this is all working towards the next day of creation. It is on the sixth day of creation that God is going to create another creature that also has nephesh, has breath, that is alive, and that is man, made in the image of God. We're all working towards that. Man is the apex of creation. But on this day, God makes, for the first time, living creatures. He made fish, great and small. We're told in verse 21, So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kind. Here for the first time since Genesis 1 verse 1, we have that word create use that we mentioned this morning. Barah! So God created the heavens and the earth. And now that word, that very unique word that describes God in his creative power and ability is used for a second time to refer to the fact that he creates these living creatures that are breathing creatures. We're told that God created the great sea creatures. Now, if you look in different translations of your Bible, you will see that there's different translations of the Hebrew word here which has become famous. It's the word hananim. There are even some translations that translate this as monster, large sea monsters. But the Hebrew word hananim comes from a Hebrew word that means to stretch. And so it refers to something that is strong. I mean, stretched out and long. And so it refers to some very large Long creatures. So we're told that God created these large sea creatures. I think the reason why that word create is saved for this because this is one of the most spectacular things that God has done. Make things like blue wells and gray wells and beluga wells 
and other marvelous creatures like Leviathan mentioned in the Bible. There's been much discussion in the commentaries about the identity of these enormous sea creatures. And it's true that in the Bible, sometimes this word is used to refer almost to like dragon-like creatures, for example, in Psalm 74, where the Red Sea crossing is being described. You know, when God divided the Red Sea and took his people through on dry ground, it's described in a very poetic way where this word shows up. It says this, you divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. That's the translation there in the ESV. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. There the picture is, as if during the Red Sea crossing, God destroyed these large sea monsters who would have been swimming in the Red Sea and then used their meat, as it were, to feed the creatures of the wilderness. But I like how the ESV translates this word, Pananim, because it translates it as great sea creatures, and that's no doubt what the reference is to. This would include the massive swimming mammals like the blue whale. A few times I've had a chance to fly to Taiwan, and when I was on the flight, I was looking down from the airplane wondering if I could see a blue whale in the Pacific Ocean, and it never happened. God made these vast creatures, the gray whales, the humpback whales, which were almost hunted to extinction at one time. These also include things like large marine animals, like marine dinosaurs, like plesiosaurs, which today only exist in the fossil record. Today even we talk though about the monsters of the deep, don't we? You can tell how we humans are scared about some of the large creatures that are still in the oceans of the world. But can you imagine what it would have been like to see some of the giant squid that God created, or a Mosasaur, or Leviathan that God made? It's very striking, too. Notice how these large sea creatures, including the great whales, were created on the fifth day prior to all the mammals being created on the sixth day, the land mammals, that is. The land mammals were created on the sixth day. Notice that the great whales and the dolphins did not evolve somehow from mammals on land. No, they actually existed one day prior to them. The psalmist calls upon even the sea creatures to praise God in Psalm 148. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths. Well, why is it that Moses here especially refers to the great sea creatures in this text? Well, I think it's because of the fact that these massive marine reptiles that existed in the beginning and these astounding whales, they all demonstrate the power and might of God. They all cry out, our God is great. Our God can make animals like this. The remarkable evidence of his power and his might. But God also made the small marine creatures, we're told. In verse 21, Moses writes about the little ones. He says, And every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kind. There he refers to the fact that God on the fifth day also created tropical fish, sardines, salmon, 
Amte. Sea urchins. Sea horses. Jellyfish. Starfish. Sandale. Coral. God made the marine creatures great and small. On the fifth day, he causes the oceans to swarm with them. I think one thing that's striking about Genesis 1 here is not just the fact that God made all these amazing swimming animals, large and small, the Lord God made them all. But what is stunning is that God not only created all these marvelous different kinds and species of marine life, but he also made them in such vast abundance. Isn't it striking how God talks about how he wants the waters to swarm with these marine, this marine life? Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, he says. And then again in verse 21, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. So what stands out is the tremendous number of these creatures that God made. Have you ever watched a video? Maybe it was a creation video and they showed things about marine life and they showed fish swarming underwater. Isn't it amazing when you have these videos of all these swarms of fish all so close to each other, swimming together, so thick you can't even see through them all. God wants the oceans to swarm with all this marine life. So it's not as if God just created all these different kinds of fish and marine life, but he also created so many of each one of them. Not only an immense variety, but he is, it's like he's extravagant. It's like he's truly prodigal, creating so many of them so that the oceans are going to swarm with them. God did this with the birds, too. Suddenly the skies are swarming with countless great flocks of birds. What it must have been like to be there in the beginning. I think even of the United States. After the Europeans came here, do you remember ever reading stories about, for example, the passenger pigeon? I remember reading stories about how people would, would see a flock of passenger pigeon come and they'd fly by in their flock for days on end. The settlers would take their bats outside and they'd just knock them down to the ground like the Israelites did with quail in the wilderness. And they killed vast numbers of them. What it must have been like to see those great flocks of passenger pigeons. And then guess what happened? And this is something that dishonors God. By the early part of the 20th century, Americans had hunted them so much that they were brought to extinction. Today, there's not a single passenger pigeon alive. That's not God's intention for his people. Or think about American bison, too, the stories. When... When the Europeans came to the Midwest, vast, vast herds of bison throughout the Midwest, all roaming across the fruited plains. The Comanches had been hunting them for generations and generations, and then here come the Europeans, and what do they do? They started shooting them. What do they do? They kill these great herds of them, and all they take from them was their tongue. They take their skin. They let their bones rot. Later on, they come and collect their bones again. But all the meat went absolute to waste. And so by the late 1880s, you know how many bison were left in the wild? Only 100. This is the sort of thing that is in opposition to God's extravagance. The Creator made many, many kinds of marine life and fish 
And he did it in great abundance. That's who I, I can't help but think of the wildebeest migrations in Africa. Have you ever seen videos of that? It's absolutely astonishing. Massive, massive numbers of wildebeest. But what it must have been like 150 years ago to see the vast migrations in Africa. And now animals are dying off. So God was not content with just making two of each animal. No, our God, instead, in his extravagant generosity and to display his power, he filled the earth, the skies with birds and the fish and the seas with fish. And he not only made the marine animals, but he made the flying animals on this day. We're told he made every winged bird according to its kind. I'm always amazed how I have Facebook friends who can keep putting up new pictures of birds constantly. And every bird you see is unique and extravagant and colorful and amazing. On this day, the Lord God made all these marvelous kinds of birds. He made large birds. He made ostriches and rheas. He made little birds like wrens. He made robins. He made those hummingbirds that flutter out outside of our windows. He made the common sparrow, too, probably to emphasize how if he shows us concern for a common sparrow, how much more will he show concern for us all? And God made all these amazing animals. He made bats on this day. The word for flying birds here is a word that's, that's broad enough in the Bible to cover bats, for example. It even covers flying insects at places in the Pentateuch. So the flying insects were created, perhaps, on this day. Also, the skies were filled with bats and pterodactyls, flying dinosaurs. And it's amazing what God did on this day. He didn't just create birds with useful features that would help them live. He also made them with non-survival features. He, he decorated them. He's like the extravagant artist who just wants to color the birds and their feathers and their plumage and all these extravagant and marvelous and bright colors from red to blue to green to yellow. Great and small, the Lord God made all birds. Some have thought that verse 20 of our text teaches that God made the fish out of the waters that deals with the question, well, how is it that God brought the birds and fish into existence? The King James Version, though, might imply that. The ESV Version doesn't. It just says, let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures. But what is clear is the Bible does teach that God made the birds, as he would make the animals on the next day, and man from the ground. So that's interesting. There's two stages in the creation. First, God makes the stuff, the mass of the creation, the raw material. And then he takes from the raw material and he makes, for example, birds and animals. If you look ahead, for example, to Genesis 1, verse 24, listen to what it says there. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. It seems that what God is saying is God will make the animals from the ground. And then look ahead to chapter 2, verse 19. And here we have something similar said about the birds now. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens. See that? So once again, the birds are said to be formed out of the earth. 
And a similar thing will happen on the sixth day where God takes the red dirt and out of that he forms Adam. So there are two things that occur in the process of the creation of some of these creatures. What jumps out of the text, too, is that God makes distinct kinds. Listen to verse 21. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. Now, in the account in Genesis, we read about that repeatedly. God makes plants after their kind. He makes animals to reproduce after their kind. The Bible is teaching fundamentally that God makes distinct species. Now, the Hebrew word for kind is the word men. That's why if you've read some of the literature being put out by creation scientists, you will see that some of them use the word baramen. That word bara comes from the word create. And men is the word for kind. So the word baramen is used because it refers to the created kind. Of course, contrary to any type of macroevolutionary idea, notice the Bible is teaching that God makes each creature according to its men, according to its kind. And that's why eagles, for example, can only reproduce with eagles. They can't reproduce with robins, which are of a different kind. There's no macroevolution from one kind to another. And how astonishingly God designed these creatures. Only today are we beginning to grow more and more in understanding of the complexity of the design of the fish and the birds, as we've learned only recently about the marvels and the wonders of DNA and DNA programming. But God programmed some creatures with an ability to change and adapt only within their created kind. For example, there are certain types of fish that can swim into a cave, and then when they lay eggs, Within their egg, the embryo has a gene that can switch, that can flip, so that it develops without pigment, so they can hide in the cave, and without eyesight. And then if one of these fish swims to the outside where there's light and lays an egg, well, an egg in the sunlight will switch back again. So God made creatures with a marvelous ability to adapt. He made able to adapt to future environments even. For example, the polar bear comes no doubt from an ancestral type of bear that was adapted to blend into very snowy surroundings in the Arctic. So God made these marvelous creatures, birds and fish, after their kind as distinct species. That brings us to the second question, when? When did God create the birds and fish, great and small? And the answer is the fifth day of the creation week. Now, what's the relationship of the fifth day of the creation week to the other days of the week? I bring up that topic because sometimes commentators make too much of hay out of certain triads in the creation week. They talk about how there are three days of preparing the creation and three days of God making creatures to inhabit them. And they act like these parallels are set in stone, and then what they do is they use that to defend a literary understanding of Genesis or the framework hypothesis of Genesis. And they say this, well, you have the first day, God makes light that matches up to the fourth day where God creates the sun, moon, and stars. The second day, God creates the firmament, matches up, with the fact that birds are created on the fifth day to fly in the firmament. 
And then the third day, God makes dry land that matches up with the fact that animals are created on the dry land on the sixth day. But this parallel is not set in stone. In fact, it is far too brittle. What is the relationship between the fifth day and the other days of creation? Well, first of all, the fifth day is related to the first day. Because it was on the first day that God made the matter, the stuff of creation, out of which birds are formed. On the first day, God also made light, which would play a very important role in the life of fish and birds. He also created water on the first day of creation as well, even though it was mixed with the earth. How is the fifth day related to the second day? Well, the sky is the place where the birds fly in freedom. How does it relate to the third day? Well, on the third day, guess what God did? He did something very important for the birds. He created a habitat for them. He, plant, he created the earth with a habitat, a place where they can nest, where they can live. And, of course, we have land-based uh, birds like ostriches and penguins that do not fly. God created their habitat, and he also provided food for them on the third day of creation. What would all the birds eat? They would eat the plant life created on third day. And then the fifth day. What's the relationship between the fifth day and the fourth day? Well, on the fourth day, God made the sun, the moon, and stars. Up until this time, at night, it must have been very dark indeed. Now, the day before, God has made the stars. And so now birds, if there are birds that are nocturnal, or even if they're not nocturnal, there's light from the stars and the moon for them at night. And also God made the constellations because guess what? He made these birds, some of the birds, with an astonishing ability to do migrations all the way across the globe. And how do these birds find their way? Well, what happens is they have to fly above the clouds and they are guided by the constellations to their destination. So God made constellations to help them on their long migration. God made the fish and the birds on the fifth day. An ordinary, historical, 24-hour day. A day that involved the complete rotation of the earth on her axis. The Bible uses the word day, which is yom, in the account here to refer to either a 24-hour day or just the daylight portion of those hours. And so God here speaks about how all of these things were created in one day. They were in the sunlight portion of the fifth day. Now, it's true that sometimes the word day can have a more symbolic or figurative sense, but it all goes back to the fact that its main meaning is an ordinary historical day. In fact, thousands and thousands of times in the Old Testament, this word for day is being used to refer to an ordinary Historical day, just like we understand an ordinary day. It's true sometimes the word is used in a metaphorical way. For example, the Bible talks about the day of the Lord. But that's actually pointing to an actual specific day too, in which the Lord Jesus will return and make all things new. Some people say, well, doesn't the apostle say that the day, one day with the Lord is as a thousand years. But even the word day there is being used in a literal historical sense. 
And the point is that time doesn't apply to God. Very clearly here in Genesis, the birds and the fish are being made on an ordinary historical day. It's almost as if God knew what he did. He anticipated in the future misunderstandings. And so God so very carefully defines for us what these days are like. The first thing that jumps out to us is that God uses the word for day throughout the Bible, the word that's used a thousand times over for an ordinary historical day. And it talks about how this is the fifth day. Second, notice how these days and this day is described in terms of a period of darkness and light. And then on top of that, third, these days are defined in terms of being called night and day. And if we wanted God to be more specific, he inspired Moses to write that these days are defined in terms of evening and morning. And if we needed more evidence, God numbered these sequentially throughout the whole Testament. Anytime you have a first day or second day or third day, it always refers to an ordinary historical day. And that's exactly what we find here. We have one day referring to the first day, and then second day, third day, fourth day, and on our day, it's called the fifth day. Whenever you find an ordinal number like that describing a day, it's an actual historical day. Also in this context, God is talking about days the day after he has made the sun and the moon and the stars. So we can even say, it is now a solar day. This was the first full day when the new sun warmed and enlightened the earth. And so it's like the writer of Genesis is inspired to write in such a way to guard against any possible misreading of the nature of these days. In six ordinary historical days, and on the fifth day in the history of the world, God made the fish and the birds. It was the fifth time the earth had rotated on her axis. Now, why did God make the fish and the birds? Well, one reason is that God had made, made these vast oceans. He had made this marvelous atmosphere, and he now wanted to populate it. God wants to populate his world. And so he blesses the fish and birds so that they would be fruitful. For the first time in the Bible, we read about God's blessing. We read in verse 22, And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. Now, isn't it striking that God not only created the oceans of the world here on the fifth day, swarming with fish, not only did he fill the skies with flocks of the birds, but God wants there to be even more. And so God blesses them. I find that my students have the hardest time wrapping their minds around just the basic concept of what it means to bless someone. What does it mean that God blesses the birds and the fish? Well, the easiest way to think about that is to remember how the patriarchs would bless their children. Remember how... Oh, Isaac blessed Jacob. Well, Jacob's all dressed up as if he's Esau, remember, and his dad blesses him. What does he do? He speaks words in which he wishes well of his son. In the case of a person, when you pray for something, you're asking God that 
he would grant your wish and do good things and give good, give good gifts to someone. Well, God now expresses his wish. And you and I can want, try to bless someone and nothing can come of it. But God's blessing of a creature is effectual and powerful. And so God blesses the creatures. He even tells them. He even commands them to do something. He says, multiply and fill the earth. So not only does God want the world to have all these swarming fish, he wants them to multiply. He wants to be more and more and more. And God's blessing has been effectual. He has called these, caused these marine animals and these flying animals to be able to reproduce. God gives them the gift of reproduction. And how amazing it is that in these last days that there are, in spite of all what man has done to cause the extinction of so many animals, isn't it amazing that still in these last days God is blessing the birds and the sea creatures? At one point during the wilderness wanderings, when the people were murmuring and complaining to Moses, Moses made the remark that there weren't even enough fish in all the oceans of the world to feed the people of Israel. But oh yes, there were. And even today, what a vast amount of fish is being harvested from the oceans of the world. And how many birds fly in the sky. God caused these creatures to multiply after their kind. So God's first purpose was to fill his creation with birds that would also, by their activity, and fish by their activity, by their very existence, and by their glory, to praise and adore their creator. But he also gave these birds and fish to you and me, to mankind. We are the king of the creation. God gave us dominion over the earth and over the birds and the fish as well. Think of how in the Bible birds would serve humans. For example, Noah used some birds to figure out whether or not the floodwaters had abated. Remember, he let out a raven and then a turtle dove. Remember how God used a raven to feed Elijah at the brook Cherith. But also God provides them with food. Peek ahead in your Bible to Genesis 9, and there you will read about why you can have some tilapia for supper. Genesis 9, look at verses 2 and 3. It was only after the flood that God said that his people could now eat more than just plant life. God says, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. That's why you can have a turkey for Thanksgiving's Day. God fed his people in the, Israel, in the wilderness with quail, for example. Jesus himself would take a few loaves of bread and a few small fish and multiply it and feed a vast crowd. So God made fish and bird for dinner for us, too. And then God pronounces them good. And God saw that it was good. God must have looked at all the marine life, all these flying animals, and he must have been astounded at the work of his own hands because it all magnified his glory and his wisdom and his power. God had created them to exhibit the fact that he is, that he exists. That's what Paul says in Romans 1 verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. 
God created these marvelous creatures so that we would recognize that they have a creator and how great he is. And then our first father and mother rebelled and the human race fell with them. And by nature, we're rebels and we misuse the creation. Rebels, we don't want to worship the creator. You and I, we walk outside so often, we see God's marvelous world and we don't even praise him. But our God has creator rights over us, fallen sons of Adam and Eve. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And we often are practical atheists. We act like God is not there. Matthew Henry says that the variety of fish and birds were created so that their different sizes, shapes, and abilities should serve not only to silence and shame the objections of atheists, but to raise high thoughts and high praises of God and pious and devout souls. The reason why it is possible for us to look at a hummingbird or a duck or marine life and praise God is because we have been renewed again through the mighty spirit who hovered over the creation. The Holy Spirit is the regenerator. He has caused us to be born again. By a great wonder in this Christmas season, we cannot leave out the fact that the Holy Spirit worked in the womb of the Virgin Mary so that a wonder happened. So that a baby was conceived, the Son of God united himself to a human nature through the mighty operations of the breath of God. And why did Christ come into this world? Christ came to redeem creatures, elect human beings who had fallen, but who he was going to renew change and transform so that they would worship him again as creator. So the reason why we can praise God is because of the cross, because of what Christ has done for us. So when you look at the animals, why did God make all these marvelous fish? Well, to exhibit his power. God says in Isaiah 40, lift up your eyes and high and see who created these you who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Birds and fish all exhibit the creativity of God. They exhibit his wisdom. The psalmist sings, O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. And they were created for the same purpose we were, to exhibit his glory. The psalmist sings, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And so do the fish and the birds. God created all of these things so that we would praise him. Psalm 145 says, All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. John Calvin says, After the world had been created, man was placed in it as in a theater, that he beholding above him and beneath the wonderful works of God might reverently adore their author. And yes, so when you sit down and you eat some roast duck, or you have some salmon with fettuccine. Thank and praise your creator. And when you see the birds flying in the sky, when you catch a walleye, praise 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the creator of walleye and perch. Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give praise and honor to you. Help us to believe in you as the glorious creator. Help us to believe about the great work of redemption. Strengthen our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so as we leave this place, as we go out to live our lives and carry out our vocation in this coming week, we might believe that Christ reigns. He is the creator of robins. He deserves all the glory of our lives, and we thank you so much for renewing us in the image of God so that we might praise you as you deserve. So touch our tongues and touch our lips so that we would sing to you this week. In Jesus' name.